I'm a big believer in the leadership development industry. And I think that coaching and lots of other providers do great jobs. I just don't think it's anywhere near scalable enough. So our USP is that we sort of say in leadership development, what works doesn't scale and what scales doesn't work. And that's until us, we solve that problem. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, delighted to be joined today by a good friend of mine all the way from New Zealand. Um, it, we've got on the show CEO and founder at Adeption, uh, who bringing that digital coaching to as well as all sorts of other wonderful stuff that we're, uh, that we're going to cover off in today's session. But the key bit is about democratizing leadership development. And I really want to come back to that point when I talk to the wonderful Carl Sanders Edwards. So welcome to the show today, Carl. Yeah, hi, Paul. Good to be here. Always a pleasure to chat, mate. And uh, we've known each other for a number of years. Uh, we, we met when I was living in New Zealand and, uh, you know, we, we've kept in touch ever since and you're doing some amazing stuff. So before we get into the stuff that you're doing today, can you give us a little bit of background as to what got you to where you are today? So you want the full arc of the story? <laughs> you go for it, mate. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was I was at a bit of a crossroads um, at the end of school, and I was wondering about whether I had an opportunity to go up to the top of the Coromandel Peninsula here in New Zealand and um, and spend a year at a campground taking people fishing and diving and um, sort of looking after a couple of you know, large rib Zodiac boats and uh, driving people around. It seemed pretty glamorous. And um, I still wonder, actually, maybe. But anyway, I um, I went and studied engineering. And in that, it was, a, it was a manufacturing engineering. And through my internships, I got to work with Toyota. Super fascinated by the to Toyota production system. And the idea that, you know, you can change entire organizations, really, with lots of incremental steps and by putting a lot of power in the people that yeah. are doing things. And so that was a great experience. And after that, I got into uh, software development and worked with a large consulting firm. And that was right when Agile was first hitting and it was becoming a, a big deal, really. And from a psychological or from a human perspective, all I could see was um, the same thing, really. Lots of short sprints, iterative. Uh, you make really complex things through lots of small um, sprint-based experiments. You're learning along the way and all the people involved are learning. So I kind of, although the methodologies were different they used different words it felt like at a human level it was very very similar um, moved to the UK worked for a startup that was became very successful it was rightmove.co.uk so a number of you will will know that still yeah. very early days and we had this explosive growth and we're applying design thinking and human-centered design and, and lean startup principles and again it was just the same pattern rep repeating and so I kind of like finished those experiences pretty lucky and with a bit of, you know, this utopian view of business and like, this is great. You know, it's a good place. You can have a lot of fun. You can be healthy, you can thrive. And then I came slamming back down to earth, basically, by working for a couple of, you know, your typical large corporates, which will remain nameless. But I was like, oh, so this is what everyone's talking about, you know. And, um, and that was where I got really curious in this idea about how we can make work and the experience of work something that's 
you know, really fulfilling for the soul and high performance and people can thrive and be their best and have a career. And it's not like this whole work-life balance thing where you have to go, well, I need to earn lots of money so one day I can retire and do what I want. It just sort of seems like a silly way to live your life. So got really curious in that space and we can talk more about it, but that's really what drew me into the field of leadership development because rightly or wrongly, it felt like all roads pointed to leadership right. and and, and leadership as a verb, like leadership isn't everyone, not just the senior leaders. Yep. So um, so I sort of got really fascinated by that and the implica implement, implement, implementations of both the lean production systems or agile or really progressive um, design thinking based organizations. It felt like there they needed to be quite an evolved set of leadership practices amongst a number of people to make them really work. Yeah. We always kind of focused on the processes, but I thought at the end of the day, I think it was the grayware mm. um, in the people's minds that really made the difference rather than the the hardware or the or the software or the processes and procedures. So yeah, it's kind of where we got and um and just so inspired to work in the space. Oh, brilliant. And I know you took some time and, and went off and did, like, was it an MBA um, over in the States and, and got some great experiences there as well. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, well, that was also really pivotal. So I sort of, at, before that time, I got into leadership development early days and I had, was sort of piloting this idea of iterative leadership development where the idea of work and development um, different they just come the same I mean the best way that you actually you spend about 2,000 hours at work every year and you might spend 20 or 30 hours in training or you know formal development yeah. a year it's like just a minute but the two are the same it, I mean, all of the work happens in the work and we would yeah. ask people when you develop the most and they'd say describe job experiences so it's like how do we enhance those and make people have them more mindfully and so we'd already started that through a series of a, a methodology which was like a series of sprints um, what's your biggest challenge? How do you work on it? How don't you? Um, and plan an experiment that you're going to do on the job. And then you do that. You get a better result. You develop, you reflect how you how you went, and then you go again. And so that was really exciting. But in the middle of it, I got the scholarship to go and do an MBA. And it was at an entrepreneurship school, Babson College, which is focused on entrepreneurship. So I was in with 140 other students from 40 different countries. More than half of us were running businesses at the time. And it kind of just blew my mind up because at the time I was imagining that the purpose was to improve the productivity of New Zealand. And it's sort of, it's, it was noble, but it's almost embarrassing to say that now because New Zealand's small, it's already very privileged and it does, you know, very well and people have good experience of life. And we share this incredible planet with 8 billion other people. And um, I had a few people there sort of say, I was learning a lot about entrepreneurship and the process of it, which again was a repeating pattern. Yeah. <laughs> you know, same one from lean and edge, Toyota production system, agile design thinking, same thread came through, but it really opened my eyes and opened my um, field of impact and the vision. And it was kind of became like, yeah, do something serious. You know, this is not a, this is not like a lifestyle business. This has a real meaning and real purpose. And you know, so we've got team members now in India and the US and um, as, as well as New Zealand and Australia and, and want that to continue growing. So very, very pivotal. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, <laughs> I think that speaks volumes about you, Carl, where you think New Zealand, having that ambition to change New Zealand and then go, well, that's not big enough. <laughs> or maybe I, I can do more. I think that in itself is such an ambitious piece. But that step of 
learning from others and opening the mind and go actually in terms of who I can help and what I can do and the impact I can have on the world maybe I should open up because that has a bigger impact on the world itself you know so it's uh, uh, what were some of the experiences that that sort of drove to that then were, were some of those conversations that you were having or were there any pivotal moments there well there are a few <laughs> I love how generous you are I'm thinking this still might prove to be a folly but, uh, <laughs> But it's a it's a great life. It's a big, I'm a big believer in all, you know life experiences and just um, leaning into them and enjoying them. But there are a few. So um, I got a really. I'd lived in London, like I mentioned, and my wife and I travelled extensively. We spent nine months uh, when we were travelling the world, really, in many ways, and sleeping in a tent. And so that opened our eyes. But it really wasn't until probably being in that study with people from lots of different countries and they were all privileged and they would tell me about their countries. Right. And it was 2011. And I remember seeing a, seeing a presentation that showed how many solar panels on a globe it would take to supply double the energy that we needed. And they were kind of like six pin pinpricks. Right. And, and that view, I kind of guess combination of being around a lot of people from different countries and them sharing their experiences of their countries and seeing the world as this sort of finite place in an, in a very very and, and it's our kind of it's our capsule it's our thing kind of really motivated me to think what's the point of a country like New Zealand being good we're all connected we're all part of this big system and if we're not all doing well nobody's doing well and it kind of like it was a through a couple of years, it really, really woke me up to that and got me inspired about the challenges that we're facing. You know, as a as a species, we're not really living in harmony with the planet that keeps us alive. And it was sort of stark. I don't know, it just felt, really felt like it. So that was on one point. And I sort of thought, well, we've created a lot of complexity for ourselves. And a lot of it's great. Like, I'm not a doom and gloom person at all. We've yeah. standards of living are better than they've ever been in human history. I still think we're borrowing from the future though. And it's like, unless we start really adjusting, then we're going to be in trouble. And we kind of need to create another, as we've done in the past, another great metaphor that guides how we live on this planet and with each other. And yeah, lots and lots and lots of people developing themselves as humans, let alone leaders, I think is the way that we'll come up with that new metaphor. So that all sort of went down there. And there was, and then the other side of it, the kind of commercial side of it was a pitch competition that we had. <laughs> and this is kind of the, the Machiavellian side of the, the the complete contrast to what I just <laughs> said. Yeah, this investor and he goes, nice, nice vision, but you know, unless you can do something digital and really scale what you do, because we were just running workshops at the time, you're a joke. <laughs> he literally said that. And I was a bit offended at the time and I didn't like him. <laughs> but I kind of, if I track him down at some stage in the future, I'll thank him. Because that was really one of those things that just keep well, I'm telling you now. Yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, wonderful. I mean, one of the things that always struck me in my time in New Zealand uh, and is there is something about the New Zealand people that allows them to bat above their average and yet still be sort of humble and uh, and still have total poppy syndrome that goes along with that as well. But what do you think it is about um, growing up in New Zealand that allows allows you to almost have that ability to have that mindset of let's go let's go wider let's go outside to the world as opposed to just keeping it too insular yeah i mean it's a really good question paul the and you've only we've all only got our own experience yeah. and although it's small there's lots of you know there's lots and lots of different lives and experiences 
in a country like New Zealand. But there is, there's a few things, you know, I think that there is a real culture of, and it's an expectation to travel yep. because it's small and it's island based, but there's still sort of like high standards and good education systems. And so you sort of know about the world, you're connected to it, you realize that you're part of it and and it's a wonderful place to live. I mean, you know that. Yeah. And But there's also this an, a, almost an expectation that you go and broaden your horizons. And, you know, the Great OE is a real is a real passage. I grew up in a town of 7,000 people and I lived there until I was 17, 18. There were, I knew more people in London and New York when I was in my 20s than I knew in the town that I grew up in in New Zealand because they were all there and other people that I met in university. So I think what happens with that is you sort of, just because it's an expectation and it's relatively easy and we're lucky, there's a good strong social fabric as well. So, you know, the, um, they talked a lot about it at Babson. Don't think about risk, think about acceptable loss. So the worst you can lose is a couple of years. Yeah. And if you take a lifelong view, you're going to gain a lot over a couple of years. So you're not sort of worried about losing your income over a few years when you're young. What happens is you just go out and you just, it's vertical leadership development is a big thing that we talk a lot about. And one of the principles that Nick Petrie, as you know, talks about is colliding perspectives. And so I think you've got a, a big portion actually of the population who get exposed to a lot of colliding perspectives. Yeah. And they've yeah. got to be, it's very growth inducing because, you know, mum and dad aren't there. You're out in the big bad world and you're, you're traveling in Africa or you're trying, you're sleeping on a floor in a flat in central London. And it's it's really growth inducing and um lots of people from everywhere do that but just one of the things that's like i said i can't remember the stat but at one stage i read it was something like 25 percent of 25 to 35 year olds that hold new zealand visas are living offshore at any given time so it's a big proportion yeah. um yeah. and i think that really helps i think that's one of just those conditions so you know i'd encourage everyone to go and have as many experiences as they can widely especially while you're young and you know, still malleable and flexible. Some of the most innovative people I know, not from New Zealand, but there's one guy in San Francisco who's brought up in Paris. Parents were from the US, spent six years in Papua New Guinea. And surprise, surprise, he does incredibly innovative, interesting things, you know, because he's had all these different perspectives and that's melded him into a into a human that's um that's really unique and and interesting as well. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, I, we know about colliding perspectives. I'm sure we'll, we'll cover that off in a little bit. But the, the that OE, the overseas experience for, for those non-Kiwis around us, the uh, it's such a big part. As you say, it's the expectation that as soon as you finish school or you finish university, you're going to spend some years. And more often than not, certainly in the, uh, the people that I've known, those people gather those experiences and they come back to New Zealand and make something awesome of it. After, uh, once they've done that and, and they don't have to many of them stay uh, abroad and, and, and live abroad but yeah it's uh, it, it enriches the country as well as just the the individual and their families as well it's fantastic stuff yeah and hopefully other places and other people as well yeah. you know that's yeah. the, that's certainly the ambition that that i have you know like uh, maybe it's just a, a, a sign of getting older but you just sort of see more connections <laughs> all the time <laughs> I think it, no, just thinking about it now, if you think about, you know, you've got the, the Kiwis, the Aussies, the, the South Africans, the Irish, who, who are all relatively small countries in the world. And they've got such a big impact in, you know, wherever you go, you'll find some Kiwis, you'll find some South Africans, you'll find some Irish people, you know. And, the, it, and then you look at how well those countries are performing on certain levels and you go, actually, yeah, there's a reason that they're doing this. You know, they're, they're getting those colliding perspectives and they're bringing them back and they're sharing them with the world. 
Oh, there you go. I've just hit on something there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, helping people perform, yeah. the theme of your podcast and what we're here talking about, you know, I'd say, I think it's one of the biggest things. It's got nothing to do with with what my, what we, what my business does or what we offer now, but um, I really think that, you know, living a life rich in experiences and, and, and exposing yourself to different things and, and challenging some of the uh, comforts that you have is a real performance inducing yeah. move. Yeah. I mean, we know that from the field of deliberate practice and high performance sports, doing things that are comfortable doesn't induce the, you know, the neurons connecting and the myelin wrapping and all those things that make you really perform at your very best as much. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, and, and, unless you're really pushing yourself and doing hard, difficult things. So, uh, and they don't have to be, they can, they're always the highlights of your life anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that takes us nicely into what you do now. So tell me about adaption and uh, who you help and how you help them. No, great. Um, we, our angle is we work with corporates mainly, um, and we're really in this, we call it leadership development. Uh, I like to think of it more broadly as human development. You know, we naturally develop and grow through our lives. So I'd challenge anyone to say that they're still, anyone who's, that they're still the same person they were 10 years ago. I mean, we know it when you're kids and kids grow up and, uh, 15 year old has got a lot more capabilities and capacities than a five-year-old. It doesn't mean the five-year-old's bad or any less. It's just different. And yeah. I think if we reflect back on our life, we make sense of the world in different ways. And it's a perfectly natural thing. Uh, and it's beneficial in lots of ways too. E each phase we grow through as adults are uh, beneficial. Um, it's not beneficial getting stuck though and sort of getting, and, and we can do, you know, it's a, it, it's a natural thing to keep growing. So I think a lot of societal and organizational structures we have are a little bit stuck inducing mm. <laughs> so under the guise of leadership development we try and help people be a bit less stuck <laughs> and um and keep growing and so it's not something you do to somebody it's something that you invite from them and what we find is nicely is that the one of the best ways to grow is just to tackle the challenges that you have currently got in front of you mm. rather than go off and do some theoretical courses or learning or coaching about like introspectively it's actually around like what's important to me now what are the challenges i've got why is it important we call it be conscious is the first phase yep. so be really wake up to say what's happening what's working why what's not working um and be really aware of those things and then help people be really curious like what other ways might you be approaching this have you been you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing a hundred times and expecting a different result. So it's just kind of creating a little bit of space for people to explore the other ideas that they might have and other people. And that's where content and things come in and then plan a, plan a smart experiment that they're going to take on the job mm. that will help them achieve what's important to them in the job. And almost it's a flipped thing. And as a side effect, they'll grow right. and develop because once they've done it, they reflect. If you do it in a social sense, you can just create it. You can actually create a tsunami because you imagine a large group of people all planning deliberate experiments about how to do their jobs better, more mindfully, yeah. and they develop yeah. in the process, then reflecting and sharing their reflections with each other. And that inspires, it's kind of like a chain reaction that inspires somebody else to sort of pause and reflect and think about what's important to them, what's working, what's not, plan an experiment, actually do something, because that's what makes things change. And then they reflect and, that, and, and share it. And, that and so 
we really work on creating that those um, conditions to allow that sort of uh, mindset to shift from being uh, uh, passive and reactive to being really proactive and creating in um, in themselves and their workplace. And so we work with organizations and, you know, create experiences and programs that do that for populations of people. Our edge is, I'm a big believer in the leadership development industry. And I think that coaching and lots of other providers do great jobs. I just don't think it's anywhere near scalable enough. So our USP is that we sort of say in leadership development, what works doesn't scale and what scales doesn't work. And that's until us, we solve that problem. <laughs> because, you know, leadership is certainly not about the C-suite or even the the top three or four layers. Uh, I took a photo at Facebook a number of years ago and and I kind of, and at the time, Mad Men, the TV program oh, yeah, just yep. came out with the kind of advertising executives from the 50s. And I was sort of thinking, this is interesting, you know, back in the 50s, these two guys drinking cognac and smoking cigars might have impacted millions of people. Yeah. And that was that was leadership. And and then this photo, there was a bunch of 20-year-olds writing code on Facebook. And I'm thinking, these people are impacting billions of people. And so if you think of the scope and span of leadership and the way our organizations and work has changed, I think that it's something that really needs to be democratized. I don't think there are many jobs left now that don't require a high degree of leadership, mm. personal leadership, and and even at followership, which is all in the same in the same field. But most jobs and people aren't getting the support that executives do, and so yeah. we think that's a really worthwhile problem to address. And so, yeah, we do that, and hopefully it'll spill over into society and just how we live on this planet as well. Yeah, I mean. As you know, I've had the privilege of, of supporting you guys in, in delivering some Absolutely. of this stuff. <laughs> and it, it, some of the things that stand out to me are, firstly, the, the scale element and the fact that when we, one of the first things we talk about is that leadership piece is the people who are on, who, uh, who get access to this stuff aren't typically what you would call leaders necessarily. There are some leaders within, within those groups, but it's about having a deliberate cohort of people who are from mixed backgrounds, mixed levels of experience, and realizing that they're all leaders in some way or another. And that, that really is, for me, is that one of the critical elements to the difference maker to typical sort of standard uh, um, development practices and programs that have happened in the past. It's like, right, everybody at level four in the business get together and do this. And it's like, that can have an advantage, but actually, and, and I think you, one of the other things that you guys have done is you, um, were ahead of the game when it came to um, doing this virtually. And so can you tell us how, you know, when COVID came about and how that changed the model and changed the, the delivery model and how the advantages that you've seen from that and maybe some disadvantages? <laughs> yeah, that's a really good thing. I mean, in many ways, I think it unfroze the world. And um, as far as embracing technologies, maybe this is another thing from being a small, from a small, far distant country. I was in Boston, doing an MBA and we had New Zealand's biggest company as a client at the time. And um, they were like, and they were operating in a number of different countries and it was going really well what we were doing in New Zealand. And we hadn't built out digital technology at that point, but they came to us and said, this is 2012 and said, can we, can we run a global cohort? And of course, being too dumb to know any difference. I was like, of course. And um, <laughs> had, was lucky I had, fellow students working on the project with me and we had a cohort of people from New Zealand, Australia, China, Chile, 
Chicago, California, and I think it was Germany. And um, and we ran a leadership development experience with them using, and this is 2012, we had virtual post-it notes, we had asynchronous sessions, we had breakouts, we were using WebEx at the time, we experimented heavily, we had a collaboration platform that we wove in, and that was really eye-opening because people didn't like it quite as much as the face-to-face, -face, yep. but the long-term results were better. Right. You couldn't hide. You know, like it was like you can't just turn up and sort of be there, be there in the back of the room <laughs> and sort of thinking about the weekend. Yeah, if you didn't do stuff, it was really, really obvious. And so that was really one of the genesis pieces for us getting into lots of blended asynchronous and synchronous delivery and ultimately building our platform, which helps uses technology to do um, a lot of the sort of heavy lifting of scale and still though leaves the human element to do what it does best which is around connection and and empathy and inspiration so um that was that was sort of well underway and we were i we, i was living in the us we were living in san francisco I'd moved the family there and it was quite a hard sell yeah. uh because yeah. economy was good and it was just too easy if you were if you believed in leadership development and wanted to do it you said well we'll just get people together and we'll run cohorts and we'll spend the money and and fly them around and we'll come get them in yeah. And we're like, mm, yeah, but what about the on-the-job stuff? Oh, well, it'll take care of itself. And and so um, when COVID first hit, we kind of there was a lot of interest in what we were doing, and it and it brought a lot of. It, I think the pendulum swung too far though, and it kind of swung past us in some ways to, to fully digital things that, and there was a lot of experimentation happened, mm. and it needed to happen because it hadn't been happening for about ten years. And Zoom exploded and, and other things. So it really opened people's eyes to what was possible. And now I feel like the pendulum's swinging back a little bit to somewhere in the middle. And it's this kind of like, you can get so far with highly digitized technical technology, technology based things, but you miss a bit too. Engagement levels are often very low, for example, and it's just hard. But now it's swung back and it hasn't swung back to where it was. It's swung back to somewhere in the middle and this blended thing, which is personally i feel like a real sweet spot of ours yeah. and we've been doing it for a number of years and others are doing it great now as well and i'm happy for it because this is you know it's a, it's a blue ocean out there it's a big world of opportunity and need yeah. so yeah. um yes yeah, so it's, it's a good question i feel like the whole field and this idea of accessible development and leadership development and the idea of blending uh technology with face-to-face -face or synchronous at least is in a really good place can you uh, expand a little bit um, for people who don't necessarily know what you mean by synchronous and asynchronous. How do, how do those know, two things differ? Sorry, it's a good question. It's a really good question. So when I say synchronous, and we came up, that is when you have people together in the same time, almost the same space. It might be the same space, but it's the same time. So you and I at the moment, Paul, are synchronous. We are talking live, even though you're in literally the other side of the planet um so we're certainly not in the same space but yeah. we're this is a synchronous connection we can we can fluidly talk to each other if we were emailing each other um backwards and forwards that's asynchronous so we're not in the same time so synchronous can either be virtual like this or face to face yeah um and by asynchronous another thing that in the i guess in the learning field people often call it self-paced right um I don't really like that so much because we sort of like really guide people through their asynchronous yeah. things. <laughs> and um, and self-paced means I won't do it often. Um, 
so asynchronous coaching is a big thing like we 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 feel like you can do a lot with digital coaching with coaching scripts that people go through and if somebody gets stuck then they reach out to a person and they may want to set up a synchronous call so hopefully hopefully haven't confused things any further but no no it makes complete sense and i think that brings us nicely into this bit about um if you could tell us a bit about what a typical engagement for a a corporation would look like for you and, and maybe what are those elements of the synchronous and the asynchronous and how does the um the program and the and the app support each other great yeah so first of all the the key thing is is the underlying methodology is about on the job experimentation that's how you grow so you're sort of doing your job and growing at the same time uh so every interaction that we have with people that they should be be resulting in them saying i'm gonna go and try something I've had some insight and they try it and before they start the next thing they reflect on how it went and share that reflection with others and that's really growth inducing so that's the underlying methodology that underpins everything that we do a typical engagement will be something something along the lines of what we call a dumbbell so you may get on our um our app and it's asynchronous you introduce yourself and you sort of become familiar with it you might do an assessment because very much like going to the gym or getting fit it helps if you kind of know where you're starting from and development is you'd have to do a lot of work we expect people to work so it's good to sort of know that so some sort of assessment individually work out where you are and then we'll have the dumbbell comes we'll have a synchronous connection it's either through zoom um, or face to face and a group a cohort of people come together and they are they've all they are meeting each other for the first time but they've been on the app together so they're kind of like going, oh that was you and and it's really quite a neat experience yeah. and they kick off their journey they go through a process um, they plan some experiments and they get really really clear on how they're going to go for the next five or six months which is about how long these cohort based experiences work then they'll go back in and asynchronously they're working doing what we call workouts again taking the exercise analogy on the app and each workout gets them reflecting exposes them to some fresh ideas there's some ai that sort of says hey based on how you answered those questions this might be useful content for you and then they plan an experiment based on that Mm. and they do it with each other so they can see each other's answers but not until they've answered themselves and they can also have little small peer groups which are like the table often the same table that they sat together or the same breakout group they were in they do a few um, make a lot of progress and then we'll have another synchronous connection towards the end where it's um they reflect on all the process the progress they've made they celebrate with each other and they really get to see like i said earlier wow i'm seeing the world differently than i was before and my team's performing better and i'm you know my my results have lifted there might be a retake of an assessment and then really importantly they commit to an ongoing journey and this is where the app strength really comes in and that for a very low price point they can continue taking get support around the typical challenges they might be facing on the job so we sort of call them coaching conversations that are based around the challenges that they face and yeah. so they then go on to they may only go in once or twice every month or two yeah. but when they do they get really specific help and they plan another experiment and the last thing I'll say is that multiple cohorts come through the same experience um this is the idea of scale and the, the app the platform acts as a container for all of the wisdom and knowledge that has gone before you so if your cohort and we've got a few organizations that have 100 plus cohorts through um so thousands and thousands of people and the 4,000th person is benefiting from the wisdom of the 3,999 that have gone before them 
And that is really where the power of it comes in because us as facilitators and coaches can only do this much. But, you know, you've got all of that embedded wisdom. And even better, if that person 4,000 likes or interacts digitally with, with person one, person one may have finished their cohort experience four years ago, they get a like and a comment. And it's all completely organic yeah. and it's unforced and they are they're delightful. And when we talk to those people, they're like, it just came flooding back to me. Right. That whole thing I did, the group of people I did it with, it came flooding back to me with that. And I remembered answering that question and I remember my experiment. And then they're inspired to go again. Yeah. So we sort of create this real sustainable ecosystem that just keeps rolling. So that's a typical engagement. There's obviously variations within that, but that's uh, sort of typically how it works out. Yeah. No, I mean, one of the things I've always loved about it is the the word experimentation, you've mentioned it a lot in what you're doing. And um, I found that people tend to be a bit scared by that. It's like, what, what am I going to experiment? You know, if what if the experiment goes wrong? What about, and, but it's about making those small experiments and making them achievable and real to their to their, to their real life and maybe giving them some uh, opportunities to, to play those and practice those with their cohort or, or their little teams. But just to try it and see what's what. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a, a great method of just getting people to try incremental change, and we all know the the power of that as it goes through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a slew of books that are kind of like based on the same ideas, Tiny Habits and Atomic Habits and um, Smart Change. So, yeah, it's really it is neat to see because the and that the cost or the potential cost of failure is almost without a doubt lower than what people assume. Um, so it's just creating those conditions where it feels safe to go and do that. Yeah. Oh, brilliant stuff. Well, let's switch the, the question around a bit. How do, you, how do you get help? How do you get help with your performance? Who do you go to? Um, what's your method for in sharpening the saw for Carl? Uh, the honest answer is my wife. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, we talk a lot. We reflect a lot. She gives me a lot of feedback. And... Um, and it's just, you know, it's amazing. It's, I think it's those relationships in your life that can provide a lot. And, and and relationships where people are close enough to you and know you well enough and you're not threatened by them that they can be honest with you as well. And so that really helps. And so I'm sort of like, I think that would be a great thing. You know, if it's if it's not you, if it's not your partner, it's it's somebody that's like that and has that much care for you, but they're also they care so much for you that prepared to tell you the things that most people won't tell you yeah. <laughs> um so i certainly benefit from that i really do and um and i use our platform a lot i just i'm sort of feel a bit spoiled because i get to test a lot of our experiments and experiences we call them experiences rather than programs just because you try to have an experience through it yeah. and uh and I, I do them for real like i some we often get told you know it's okay just add an x go through the whole thing i don't know i'm like i'm answering the questions and i've got things here on the wall yeah um that i've created and they're all from doing the workouts on our platform and right. so i get a lot from that and i get a lot from the people that are using the platform we get to video and video create little assets of leaders sharing their tips and they get created through use of the platform so i get to see a lot of those and it kind of just keeps blowing up my mind so um so yeah that's another way and diverse friends and people I, i'm a big believer and so you know the town i live in at the moment i'm i coach cricket and i hang out with plumbers and um and builders and school teachers and um lawyers and all sorts of different 
vocations from the current one. And, you know, you just learn so much from those. You pick up little tidbits from conversations. And so I just sort of think keeping that really diverse um, set of perspectives. It was, it was, it's a good, it's a really good question to think about. I, I read a lot as well. So that's, um, and much to my wife's disgust, I tell her everything I read. <laughs> <laughs> so then that reinforces it. But yeah. So there's a few things, but yeah, I think that um, one of the big ones is just having that access to those different points of view. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and so a couple of quicker questions now. Um, if you could help any individual team or organization with the skill set that you've got, who would you want that to be? Yeah, um, I don't know if they'd want my help um, <laughs> or our help, but anyone that is, thanks for preparing me for this question, Paul, <laughs> because I, it really got me thinking, and anyone, I, I feel really deeply about this, anyone that's really dedicating themselves to directly supporting the way that humans live in harmony with this planet and everything else on it. Um, and I know some of those organizations can sometimes polarize and, and, you know, they become politicized, but underneath it all, I do, I do think it's the biggest, um, challenge that humanity has. Mm. And, um, I feel like I'm indirectly doing it at the moment, like I said earlier, through sort of trying to raise this, uh, the collective consciousness of how we live by lots and lots of people kind of spending more time actually waking up and being aware of what they do and experimenting deliberately and not just kind of following writing their own script rather than just sort of following what they think should be told but i do feel like i'd love to um if i was going to dedicate 100 percent my time to anything else it would be a people or organizations that are just very directly working in that space right. um and it's even just telling you that sort of it's, it inspires me a bit. So maybe I should do something about it. <laughs> good, good. Try an experiment and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and on the flip side of that, if you were to sit down, have a coffee, have a beer uh, with someone who you think you could learn from and improve your performance, who would you want that to be? <laughs> well, there's lots, there's lots, and and I sort of feel I feel really lucky in my role. I get to meet an enormous amount of super interesting people and pick their brains, and it's just such a privilege. So, uh, you know, sitting here in a tiny town in New Zealand, talking to people from all over the world every single day, and it's it's it, it is it's it, it makes you pinch yourself. But maybe because of that, I really think sitting down with aliens <laughs> and having a beer. And having listening to them, asking them about what they see of us on this planet and how we interact with each other and what we're doing with this pure objectivity of kind of like not being, there's a great saying that's you can't read the label from inside the can. And I think, you know, we're all in the can and myself, you know, hands up fully included and can't really see things for what they are. Like we construct our own realities around our own experiences and what we see. And so I think an alien's perspective and just to really quiz them about what they see would be amazing. I've partly, I've partly stolen that, I think, and maybe the closest real person. And I hope um, he won't take any offense is Yuval Nahari, who wrote Sapiens and, right. um, and, um, Ahamodus is because as I was reading those books and he was you know as an anthropologist a historian going through humans and 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 how we've come to be how we are now and how we might be next it felt like I was reading from somebody who had really managed to separate themselves from the can and that was what I appreciated so much about those books 
So um, yeah, next next to an alien, <laughs> it'd be really, it'd be really, it'd be really, it'd be really digging in there with um, Yuval. So that's uh, that's yeah, I'd, it'd be fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure it would be. I'd love to join you on that chat. Basically. So finally, Carl, how do people find out more? How do they connect with you and connect with Adaption? So the, the easiest way is adeption, www, I don't need to say that, do I? <laughs> www.adeption.io, it's IO. Yep. Um, and I'm happy for anyone to connect with me directly to, uh, it's carls at adeption.io. So it's just C-A-R-L-S at adeption.io. Yep. I may not respond immediately. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, Carl Sanders Edwards. Um, but you know, anyone of our team, we're sort of really passionate and purpose driven. So through the website, we anyone will answer and you'll get as good or better response myself. But I'm just a forever curious person and love meeting different people. So that's why I might be, you know, feel free to reach out directly as well. Brilliant. Well, Carl, as always, an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And, and thanks so much for being on the show today, Carl Sanders Edwards. Thanks, Paul. Love what you're doing. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.